Well, after five months and 19 messages, uh, we have come to, as Eric said, the pivotal moment of faith in the life of Abraham. Uh, if we were to take the heroic acts of faith in our Bible, start in the Old Testament, and just take a sampling of them, uh, if you grab Noah, uh, how about building an ark when there's no such thing as rain, doing that over the course of years to get that done? If you were to take Moses, how about lifting your arm up to part the Red Sea, an act of faith? How about Joshua? Can you imagine walking around a city, just walking around it seven times and blowing the trumpet to capture it. Or, or David, you know, a familiar story. If you have David, the, the shepherd boy, he slays the nine-foot giant, right? We, we, we go, what faith? If we were to take all of those and others and put them together, I do not think uh, it would match the weight that bore down upon the heart, soul, strength, and mind of Abraham as he walks this path of faith to obey God's command to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. I think it's the most terrifying, one of the most terrifying stories in the Bible for the believer. And here's why. We've been studying Abraham's life and noting this is how God grows faith. Hmm. So if this is how God grows faith for Abraham... This is how God grows faith for you and me. Now, let me be very clear up front. God is not going to ask any of you in the room, I'll talk about reasons for that later, but to sacrifice, to kill your only child in this redemptive history here. But there's an underlying principle, we'll get to it at the end, that, that, that the story rests upon. And if we will wrestle with that underlying principle, truly wrestle with it, then we will join Abraham on this journey in Genesis 22. We'll get on the road with him. Now, we're slowing the steady down. We're going to take Genesis 22 in two parts because we want to, we want to engage it. We want to get in the story, and we're going to do it at least four ways. We're going to do it expositionally, right? This is what we do. We teach the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. We'll do that this morning. But I'm also going to invite you to go there imaginatively. I'm going to invite you to imagine being in Abraham's shoes. We'll, we'll, we'll do that through a song at the end. But I'm also going to ask you to go there experientially and practically. Before you leave this morning, I'm going to put something in your hand, literally, physically, that you're going to hold that's going to represent your Isaac that God may be inviting you to lay down. Now, we're going to take the first 10 verses today, and then Michael's going to come next week, take 11 through 24. The first 10 verses can be broken out in these three categories, God's timing, God's test, and Abraham's obedience. So those of you who've got kind of the outline mind going, we've got three headings we're going to take this in. God's timing, verse 1. I'm just going to take verse 1. And then God's test, just verse 2. And then verses 3 through 11, Abraham's obedience. Timing, test, and obedience. Open your Bibles to Genesis 22 if they're not already open. And follow along as I read. We're going to take first, you know, a verse at a time right here on the front end. 
First of all, God's timing. Genesis 22, verse 1. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. God's timing. After these things, I want you to think about this, after what things? Well, after these things, what things? After chapter 21. After the birth of Isaac, laughter, joy. After the expulsion of Hagar and Ishmael, sorrow and pain. After the covenant with Abimelech, right? If you've been in the study, after that covenant, which secured Abraham a water supply for a long, long time, long enough, I'm going to plant a tree. And he's there, the text says, worshiping new name for God, the everlasting God. And he sojourned there for many, many days after these things. Now, what we know is after these things, a period of probably a decade goes by. In other words, Abraham is living, sojourning in that land, living the good life, quite frankly, for probably a decade. And I say that because we would note that Isaac is probably, this is a big range, but 13 to 17, he's somewhere in that probably teen years based on what he does and how Abraham interacts with him in a few moments. Now, we the readers are informed right at the beginning, aren't we? Like, here's a secret, so to speak. Abraham is going to be tested. But who doesn't know about the test? And I'm asking, who? Say it out loud. Abraham. Let's just keep that in mind. Abraham doesn't know this is a test. That's really, really important as we understand and apply the text. When we look at how this word test is used, uh, it carries the idea of, of something being proven, a quality being drawn out or shown to, okay? Uh, older versions, might, King James Version might use the word tempt, God tempted. And it, 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 in our day, that word has that negative connotation, doesn't it? And, it, and it's probably not the best word in, in our day to think of this. It was a test in which God is, is proving or revealing something from within the very heart of Abraham. Now, don't turn there, but Proverbs 17.3 helps us understand this. It captures the intent of the word. The proverb says this, the refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the hearts. And we don't have to be metallurgists to get this. I think we all understand that when silver, gold, when it's refined, when it's in the furnace and fire, it's heated up and the heat separates the impurities that rise to the top and it's skimmed off. And, and oftentimes in Proverbs, it talks about it's refined seven times, the number of perfections, seven times. We're going to get it till it's pure silver, pure gold, but it requires intense heat for that process to happen. You know, if it was a Disney movie and the silver and gold could speak, you know, they'd be, ah, ah, ee, you know, it'd be screaming, right? Because this is not comfortable, this testing that proves the integrity, the wholeness, the genuineness of the silver and gold. And it reminds us of this, you guys. If you're gonna follow Christ, you're gonna be tested. There's no avoiding that. That's part of the life and the journey of faith. It's not low heat. It's high heat that removes the impurities. Why is God going to test us? He's going to test us so that he reveals to us the deepening of our faith, the purity of our faith, the growth of our faith, that he's, he's growing our faith. And he'll test us to reveal that to ourselves. Two things about God's timing, two lessons or principles I want to give you. The first is this. 
It was a surprise to Abraham. I don't know we always feel the weight of this. He wasn't looking for this. <laughs> this kind of came out of nowhere, so to speak. It was after these days he sojourned in the land 10 years, all is well. What are they talking about for 10 years? Our boy's getting older. He's going to get married soon. The nation's going to come through. This is amazing. Life was good, right? It truly was, and nothing wrong. All is well, we would say. Okay, and then chapter 22, verse 1, God tested him. And our tendency, I'll say this, my tendency is often to go, how's it going? All is well. And then you might ask me another day, and it's like, ooh, not all is well. God is testing me. But the Bible doesn't see the journey of faith that way. The Bible sees the life of faith, all is well, God is testing these things aren't mutually exclusive. This is the life of faith. All is well. God is testing all the time. God's tests are rarely convenient. I'm just telling you. At some level, you kind of know it's a test when you go, not now. You know, then you know. I mean, because it's, it's, never, it's never in your plans, you know. Okay, I think it's a good day. Give it to me. I'm ready. You know, it's never that. It's the worst timing, so to speak, from our perspective that God is testing. Well, what's a surprise to us? Can I say this and remind you? It's God's sovereignty. It's perfect timing. It's his plan and work in your life and mine. It was a surprise to Abraham. And the second thing I want you to think about is God's past faithfulness prepares us for God's present testing. God's past faithfulness, his faithfulness path, we'll see this more in a moment, actually prepares us for the very present test that's in front of us. Um, when, when those of us who have more than one child, you know, if you're with a, a young family and they've got their first child, oftentimes that, that, that family will say, man, I don't know how y'all do it with two or four or six. How, <laughs> how do you do it, right? And what do we generally say to those who have one is kind of, kind of along these lines, we'll say, well, you know, he didn't give them to us all at once. That's the truth. He didn't give them all at once. That's kind of what we say. Now, I don't, don't come up and correct me because I know some of you got them all at once, you know, with multiples or adoptions. That happens. But generally, it's not all at once. And the same with testing. He's not just dumping on us all at once. God is actually preparing. He's always, he doesn't test us without preparing us. How long has he been preparing Abraham? I, I can tell you, we, we actually know 35 years from the moment he called him out of Ur of the Chaldeans to this very moment, preparing him for this test. And it tells us this, every, every act of faith or, or every act of faith that's happening in your life right now becomes a deposit that you draw on for the next test in your life. Let me say it again, it's your obedience right now, your faithfulness right now is actually you're making a deposit that you're going to draw on tomorrow, literally. You'll draw on tomorrow for that next step of faith. Okay, God's timing goes to God's specific test. God's timing, verse 1, God's test, verse 2. Look at verse 2 with me. He said, God said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Moriah, we, we believe, is probably Jerusalem. Some, some don't agree on this, but right where the Temple Mount, excuse me, is. Culturally, let me say this, uh, child sacrifice was not uncommon in this day. Don't forget we're way early in world history, so to speak. 
And so when, when God told him to do this, now we look at that and we go, that's crazy. That's insane, so to speak. He wouldn't have thought that per se, only in this way, we know for a fact that the Canaanites sacrificed their children. This is a fact that the Canaanites would take their firstborn son and sacrifice him in order that appease the God. You can have this one and you, you know, God hopefully will give me many, many more because I do that. So it's not a shock to his system. Can I say that when, when God says this? Now it is a shock in this way that this is not what Yahweh, this is not the character of Yahweh. And I want you to think about the contradiction that occurs in Abraham's mind in this moment. Oh, this is Isaac, the one whom you promised, whom you said will be, uh, a nation will come forth and all the nations of the world will be blessed. Hmm. And now you're telling me to go kill him. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, you put that together in your mind. I mean, try and bring those two, to, try and reconcile those th two things in your mind. It's like the magnets, you put the, po the similar ends, you go, they won't go together, right? This is what this is. He's, no, no, this is the promise when the blessing, kill him. <laughs> you know, I can't put that together. Our series has been, and we've looked at this for 19 weeks, and it's different today, isn't it? It's a different day. But on the screen we saw, it would be Abraham, trusting God makes sense, dot, dot, dot. This is on the cover of your program. What's the next phrase? Even when it doesn't. Well, if I say even when it does it to this, that's almost like taking this too lightly. It's like, yeah, not, this doesn't make sense. This is crazy. You know, it goes beyond doesn't make sense. You know, this is wrong. This is so wrong. Now, two things we're going to keep in mind to, to, to keep us interpreting this correctly. Number one, God knows how it ends before it begins. Now, God knows God's not going to violate his character. He's not going to allow Abraham to do that. He's not going to command him to do it and allow him to do it. But who doesn't know this is a test, once again? Abraham. So it's a genuine test. It's a genuine test for Abraham. Secondly, let's keep in mind that our Bibles are a progressive revelation of how God is going to redeem humanity. It's a little foggy back here, gets a little clear, gets really clear in the Gospels in the New Testament. We're back here in Genesis 22, and what God has revealed up to this point, okay, we look back on it from where we are today, and we look back thousands of years, and when we read this story, what do you think of? Oh, man, this sounds a lot like an event that's going to happen 2,000 years later when God the Father is going to slay his son. I mean, God does it. Think about, think about the implications of that. God the Father slays his son. Was it an act of cruelty? It was out of infinite love that he slayed his son so that you and I could be sons and daughters. So we read this story, let's bear in mind, it's foreshadowing what God is doing and going to do in redemptive history. And so it serves that purpose, the story itself. Now, there is a, a, a literary figure in here, and this is for, for those of us kind of get, get into the literary structure of a book, but it's important because it shows us what's important to the author. There's an inclusio in this story, and I'll describe it if I can this way. In chapter 12, verse 1, God calls Abraham and says, go forth from your, and I want you to listen to the progression. This is Rob Sweet talked about this weeks ago, months ago. Go forth from your country, your relatives, your father's house personal. Chapter 12, verse 1. Chapter 22, verse 2. Go to a land. He doesn't even tell him where it is. Just go this direction of Moriah. I'm going to tell you later what it is. Go to. It's the same Hebrew word. Okay. The very same Hebrew word. Go forth. 12, 1. Go to. 22, 2. 
It's only used two times in the whole Bible. Right here. And notice when he says go to, he says, your son, your only son, whom you love. You see the progression comes down. What's the author showing us? It's an inclusio. It bookends the story, so to speak. This is a major event. This is a major event. Pay attention to what's going on here, you see. Now, when Abraham went to Moriah, he didn't know the specific spot, did he? So he, 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 he obeyed God, but he didn't know exactly. It's just like Hebrews says of the first leaving. He left not knowing where he was going. Now, it's true for you and I, okay? Point of application for you and I. The step of faith that God requires is the next step in front of you. It's not the 23rd step or the 28th or the 49th. It's just the next one right in front of you. I might say it like this. Faith's instructions are never complete. I'm, la- I'm looking at people I know have adopted kids or whatever, you know, and you adopt a child. I'm, I'm going to tell you something. You don't know how it's going to turn out, how it goes all the way out. You just know this is the step of obedience. It's true in all steps of obedience. It, it, it's incomplete, but it's enough to take the next step and the first step. I might say it this way. I talked earlier about this reconciling. He's the son of promise. Kill him. You know, I can't hold this together. I think we could say this. What can't be reconciled in our minds can be obeyed from the heart. This is Abraham's story. What we can't reconcile in our mind, I can't, eh, in faith can be obeyed from the heart. Totally. I might say it another way. A full understanding is not required for a full obedience. Listen, doesn't mean, I'll talk about this in a moment, doesn't mean we check our brain out. You know, faith doesn't make any sense. Don't go there. We engage the mind. I'll talk about how Abraham did that. But a full understanding is not required for a full obedience. God's timing, God's test, and now Abraham's obedience. Look at verses 3 through 10. As I read this, I want you to notice a couple things. One is, notice how many times the familial terms are used. Father, son. It's a bit of an overkill when you read it. You go, you know, if you were grading the English paper, you'd go, I don't think you need to say son so many times. It's 10 times. You're killing me. Um, notice when he, re- he restates and they walked on together. They walked. Why, why is the author just, why is he killing us with our hearts? Because he's foreshadowing what is going to cost God the Father to slay his own son, you see. And we enter into that emotion of the story. Follow along in your Bibles, verses 3 through 10. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. 
And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Note verse 9. One commentator said this, and I thought it was so good. He said, it's like in verse 9, everything's happening in slow motion. Notice how it reads. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. So much here. We're not going to go in deep detail. We don't have time But I do want to grab two statements that I think unlock the passage in this way. It helps us understand how Abraham could take this step of faith and why he took the step of faith. And I want to unlock it this way because if we get that, then you and I understand how we can take the step of faith God invites us to take, okay? Two statements. The first one comes out of a a phrase and part of the story in verse five. Notice when he separates from the two who are traveling with him, his two servants. He says, in plural, we will go there to worship and return. You got to carry the plural with that. We will go and we will return. Now, we don't know if Abraham was lying He's a lot, right? We know he's got this tendency, like I do. Uh, was he lying just so that the servants wouldn't go? You know, it's conjecture, you know, because if the servants go and they see what I'm about to do, I'm old, they're young, they're strong, I'm going to kill him, they're going to stop. You know, he, he could have, we don't know. I think what we do know is Abraham knew something. Well, what did he know that he could say that? I think the Bible tells us. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to turn to this one because I want you to see these verses. Hebrews chapter 11. Of course, Hebrews, uh, you know, interprets much of the story for us uh, in our Old Testaments. Hebrews chapter 11. I want you to think about Abraham traveling for three days. So he's got two nights. He's been under the stars. Now you go here with me. When he laid down at night and he laid and looked up at the sky and he saw the stars, what would he think of? What would he be thinking of? How many descendants the boy laying next to him is going to have? Oh, wait a minute. That's the boy I'm going to kill. <laughs> Two nights, right? He's going through this at least just in the day. You know, he's reflecting. He's thinking on these things. Notice what Hebrews tells us, chapter 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, we're in the right water, we're in the right story, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, in Isaac, your descendants shall be called. He considered, verse 19, he considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. We don't know how God communicated this per se, Uh, certainly was of the spirit, But God opened his eyes to know that God is able to raise people from the dead. Now, when Abraham reflected, when he considered, just take, when he was thinking, considered using his mind, quite frankly, 
What did he have to think on and reflect on to know? He didn't have a Bible. He didn't have a Bible. So what did he have? God's past faithfulness. 35 years of God's faithfulness. God's character revealed in God's act toward him. You see, that, that's what he had. And considering that, God opened his eyes to know God is able to raise the dead. Men and women, no person had ever been raised from the dead at this point in history, okay? And yet God opened his eyes to believe that. Now, that's the first phrase I think we can hold as well. Abraham was convinced, and this is the phrase, God's able to raise the dead. This is a powerful thing to believe. God is able to raise the dead. Well, what's the second thing he held? I think it's found in the phrase in verse 8 when Isaac says, where's the lamb? And he says, God will provide the lamb for the offering. The word provide is literally see. God will see the lamb for the offering. I think this is helpful for us because we have an idiom in our own language that, that captures this when, when we say, I'll see to it. Let's just say you're in a, you're, you're in a carpool, mom, and you know, one day you look at another mom, you say, don't worry about it. I'll see to it that Abby gets home. And when, when, when that you say that, what have you done? You've taken on responsibility. I will see to it that your child gets where they need to be. God himself says, I'll see to it. He always says, I'll see to it, you see, to his own. And that's the second phrase. He was convinced that God had said, I'll see to it. Now, I would suggest you can write these on the tablet of your heart, as the Proverbs say, or the psalmist. Because from Genesis to Revelation, listen, the story of the Bible and redemptive history shows us God is able to raise the dead. God will see to it. And we bring these two things by the power of the Spirit to the very test that God introduces and brings into our lives. I think this is in part what Abraham did, and we can as well. Now, I mentioned earlier that the story is sitting upon a principle. <laughs> and I said, if, if we are going to engage this principle, uh, then we're going to join Abraham on, on his journey. And I want to say to you, you, you'll know you're engaging this principle genuinely when it terrifies you. Here's the principle. I'll state it a couple times. Faith is letting go of everything but God. Says easy, lives impossible hard. Faith is letting go of everything but God. If you take the story, reduce it down to its irreducible minimum, I think this would fall out. This is what we would find, the invitation to Abraham. Faith is letting go of everything but God. I was at a uh, CBA convention many years ago, CBA, Christian Booksellers Association. I know some of you guys are involved in these things over the years. And, you know, it could be, it's a, I think it might have been in Denver, convention center, miles and miles of booths and displays. And I'm going along through this huge convention center, and there is a, a booth, and they had an eagle, a bald eagle. Anybody been, been near a bald eagle? They're huge. 
they had an eagle handler and the lady had this huge thick leather glove on and, and the eagle just clamped down on her, on her fist, you know, the claws drawing in. And of course, I'm walking by, it's very interesting to me. And I end up talking to her and she tells me this pretty interesting fact about eagles. She says, do you know that eagles are so wired that when they grab onto a fish, they cannot let it go such that they have found eagle skeletons on the bottom of the lake with its claws in a fish that was too big to get home. Cost, costed its life. Now, you and I, as sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, we are born with this DNA. I'm going to call it the eagle grip, the eagle instinct, the eagle claw. It's in us. That, that we are born with this propensity to grab onto things. Now listen, good things. I mean, you got to eat. I need to eat, right? I mean, blessings, good things. You grab on and you can't let go. And I'm talking to, I want you to know, I'm talking to us as Christians. If you're in the room and you know Christ, you're born again. You've placed your faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Christ lives in you. And yet there's a principle that lives in us as well, doesn't it? Called the flesh. And that principle is going to be with us till the day we die. It's not going to ever go away. And it's that principle that we're going to grab on and we're not going to let it go. As harsh as this may sound to us, I mean, we take the story at face value and we read it and we look at it and go, what's going on here? It seems that Abraham is holding on to God and something else. What else is he holding on to? Who else is he holding on to? His son. I, I mean, we all go, that makes sense. It does. It does make sense. Unless there is a lesson that God is teaching Abraham and he's teaching you and I. And this is the part that's terrifying. And he's teaching you and I. And I think he is in the text itself that there's something more important. Listen, Abraham was holding on to the blessings. What's wrong with that? Nothing if you understand that you only hold on to God. And you see, what's more important than our kids? What's more important than the promises of God, the blessings of God? Well, I think the truth is that God alone is enough and all we need. Again, you know, you know, we sing songs, we sing in God alone, God, I trust you alone, you're my all, you're my, and it's okay, we need to sing those in faith, it's appropriate to sing those in faith, and yet the truth of the matter is, he's not our all, because we, we have God, and you're my God, and then this is my, and we hold both, and, and we can't let it go. I think John Piper's maxim really fits well, and it's a great maxim, of course, built his whole ministry around it. God is most glorified when we are most, what? You know the phrase? Satisfied in him. What's the purpose of life, men and women? To glorify God. That's why we exist as a church. That's why you're on the planet. And God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. And can I say this? In him alone. Not God and the blessings, God and the, but in him alone. And I'm going to ask each of us to actually experience and wrestle with that truth. I want the ushers to come down. 
and they are going to pass around the offering baskets because I'm going to ask you to separate from all your worldly wealth right now. Just kidding. That's the application. Give all your money. That would be far too small. That would be nothing in light of what God requires of us. I want each of you to take a wooden shim. That's all that's in there. Everyone's going to take one, a wooden shim. That's all it is. And I want you to hold it in your hand. I'm going to ask you to, you know, put your Bibles down and everyone, kids, adults, take a shim and you're going to hold it in one hand. And, you know, again, this is, I'm trying to help us apply it. We're going to hold it in one hand and we're going to hold God in the other. And I want you to sit there just thinking about that. I've got, I, I do have God, but I do have these things in my other hand. I want you to imagine, you know, this is your Isaac or Isaacs. Yes, it could be a child. It could be your spouse. It could be, I don't know, your career. It could be uh, financial security. You know, I gotta have, I gotta know I'm gonna be okay in old age. I mean, I, it could be, um, I don't know, it could be something that, that uh, something that God promised and you're just gonna say, God, and it, it hadn't come yet and in an unhealthy way, we're holding to the blessing. You see, I don't wanna throw the baby out with the bathwater here. But it could be anything, and it could be so many things that we hold other than God. And God's invitation to us is to say, if you'll let that go, you'll find, I'm enough. I'm everything. I'm all. See, and this is the part where it's easy to skim around this one and try and shave the edges off and not feel the full weight of it. Either he's everything or he's not, right? And so I want you to sit, the shim in one hand, God in the other. And I mentioned we would engage this story on a number of levels. You're actually experiencing it right now, holding this shim in your hand. I'm going to invite you to sit for the next few moments and listen to the story again. We're going to reread it, but we're going to hear it in a song And we're going to be sitting and walking in Abraham's shoes as we do. And the invitation is to imagine and go there with Abraham. Let's stand together, Isaac in hand. Bruce Waltke cuts to the core of this text when he writes, Old Testament theologian, and I quote, The focal point of this story is not the danger to Isaac, but the danger to Abraham and his relationship to God. I love that because it reminds us, men and women, Isaac was never in danger. There was something, there was a greater danger going on here, and that was Abraham's relationship with God because your relationship with God matters more than anything, than anything. Now, I'll say this. There is no power on the planet. You don't have the willpower to lay your Isaac down. You can't. The only power in the universe that would enable that is the power of the gospel the gospel of Christ, that Jesus lived the perfect life we couldn't live, and he died the death we deserved. 
He did it all for you and I. And he was buried, he rose again. He said, trust that what I've done, I've done for you and your sins are forgiven forever. And you're clothed with righteousness forever, you see. This is the gospel. And only the power of the gospel within would enable you and I to open our hand, to lay our Isaac down, believing the gospel's enough, because God is enough. You know, the gospel is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. But Jesus plus something or anything equals nothing. And the invitation to faith is that you and I would continually come. And it's not a one and done, quite frankly. Keep laying our Isaac down because we pick it up again or something else. And the gospel says you can lay it down because Jesus is enough. Last weekend, teaching this message and, uh, at, at Brentwood, and I had not planned this at all, but it was, uh, last weekend was my son's 20th birthday. And I woke up that morning, I was thinking about that. Because literally, you know, I, I'm thinking, I, can't, I couldn't do it. I could not do what Abraham did. Anyways, I was thinking about it, and so I wrote him this text. I said, happy birthday, happy 20th birthday. Grateful for the gift you are to me teaching today about Abraham sacrificing Isaac, his son, his only son, whom he loves. And every time I read these words, I think of you, and I think I couldn't do that. And then I think, and this is the truth, and then I think God gave his son, his only son, whom he loves, so that I could be his son. In the gospel, God gave all. Jesus himself gave all. And in Christ, I can too. So in a strange and beautiful way, I want you to know I have sacrificed you. In this way, you're not mine. You're his. And knowing this frees me to love him and you with my all. It's just the mystery and the wonder of the gospel that we can hold our Isaac and not have it. Or we can lay our Isaacs down and have it all, have everything. We have God, you see. Now, Abraham had three days to travel and think about it. You're going to have seven uh, I'm going to invite you to keep your Isaac all week. I, I, did my, I kept mine all week, last week. And I began to write on my shim, what do I hold to? What am I holding God to? That's good things even. And I wrote all week on these. And um, I want you to know next week, there will be right outside that door, this altar, fire ablazing. And I'm going to invite you to bring, it in, bring your Isaac in, bring the Shem in, because we're going to worship together. And then Michael will talk about when you leave to lay your Isaac down. Now, I, I wanted to see the altar because it's over at Brentwood today. And by the way, I, I went there this morning before the 8 o'clock service. And, and I'd been looking at this all week long, both sides of my Shem covered. And I want you to know, I laid my Isaac in that fire. I didn't want to wait 14 days with you guys. So I laid my Isaac in the fire. And that's the invitation for you and I.
this week and next to lay it down. Would you pray with me? Father, when we wait on you so many times that uh, what comes riding in is a word that's really hard. That whisper feels like a sword that comes down hard upon our hearts. But we know your character, that you are good. And therefore, what feels like a sword is for our good and your glory. And so we need you to help us. Help us to say, holy is the Lord. Help us to say and live, the Lord I will obey, even when we don't know the way. Take us to the mountain, O God, by your spirit. May we follow where you lead. And even if you take him, Lord, even as you take all, still may we ever obey, not in and of ourselves, but only by the power of the gospel and your spirit within. And so we leave today with the words upon our lips, holy is the Lord, holy is the Lord, and the Lord I will obey. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. God bless.